You're listening to the world's only pro wrestling podcast, the VIP Lounge, bringing you the best in pro wrestling, new school guests, interviews, and opinions. Brought to you by ReeseRyanBrand.com. And here's your host, the VIP champion, the king of swag, Reese Ryan. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode five of the VIP Lounge Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, I never expected this to kind of be as successful as it has been. In all honesty, I just set it up as kind of, you know, something to do. Like, you know, we're all stuck at home. And I just wanted something, you know, cool to kind of speak about, learn some things, uh, you know, speak to some dope people. But, you know, the, the support that I'm getting from you guys every single week, uh, the listener numbers uh, just keep going up. Um, and, you know, this little humble podcast that I'm doing, um, I really love that people are enjoying the content. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm excited to bring them out every week. So I just want to thank you all so much, genuinely, just for keeping me busy. And, you know, if, if I can distract you for like 60 to 90 minutes listening to my voice, uh, you know, just taking your mind off of this horrible situation, then that's great. Uh, honestly, I'm so thankful for everything about this. And we have a phenomenal guest uh, this week, two guests. Um, like, honestly, this has been the most fun that I've had on, on the podcast. Uh, such a, an incredibly informative interview. Um, just, just so uh, definitely the, the, the biggest, obviously the biggest veteran that I've had of the ring, uh, a career, a professional career spanning over 14 years in the nineties. Um, so in, in that time, obviously it was a completely different landscape of, of British independent wrestling. And for, for him to be able to, you know, uh, really make the most of that, um, we speak about all sorts and I, I can't wait to show it to you guys. So today's guest is the shining light, Stevie Knight, um, you know, incredible, incredible ring veteran. And, um, and I have his co-host Richard Young as well for their seconds away. It's nighttime podcast. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. If you haven't listened to that already, you need to check it out. Um, each one of them, particularly for you know aspiring pro wrestlers um, and just anyone that's interested in the in, interested in the business, uh, there are literally just like ninety minute seminars, completely free. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So just check those out. So we go and we talk about in this podcast, we talk about UWA, uh, we talk about FWA, and not only that, but also like his time on the camp circuits in, in the UK, uh, Brian Dixon, All-Star. Um, we also talk about guys from that era. We talk about Dean Olmark, Johnny Storm, Johnny Fleisch, Doug Williams. Uh, we also speak about Dynamite Kid, his experiences and interviews that he's had with people who experienced Dynamite Kid and what he was like. Uh, we speak about the change in the backstage etiquette at wrestling shows as well. So like, um, we also mentioned about the death of kayfabe because that kind of ties in, uh, Stevie says about how kind of, you know, when the death of kayfabe kind of came and, and, and the scene kind of went from being like shooters to being, uh, you, you know, people that kind of got it, you know, knew what was going on that kind of changed the backstage etiquette. Not only that, but also the, the world changing in general, 
so that's a really, really cool talk. We also talk about the uh, the UK tribute shows, so the WWF tribute shows that went around that were rife in the uh, British wrestling scene at one point. We talk about, you know, like at that time, like John Smith uh, performing as The Rock, you know. Uh, so that was quite a, a big thing in, in the UK. He talks about how that obviously affected the scene, but we've recovered now, so it's all dope. But yeah, we speak about that. We speak about the progression of British wrestling. We speak about Alex Shane and his mind for wrestling, as well as what he's done with regards to world of sport, things like that. So that's really cool. And at the very end, we speak about advice for younger guys. So if you are an aspiring wrestler, or, or you know, if you're just uh, interested in the business, that's definitely something to check out uh, right at the end there. So, uh, that's, that's really cool. It it was so, it was so awesome having this conversation because the thing is, if I didn't do this, like, you know, how often do you get to sit down and just learn from, from people who have really done it? And, you know, like Steve even says himself how he really doesn't hold his career in such a high regard, but honestly, like he was, he was fantastic. Like watching his footage, it was such an amazing learning curve as well. So this guy is definitely one to listen to and want to learn from. So without further ado, we have Stevie Knight and Richard Young on the VIP Lounge podcast. So guys, once you've listened to this, uh, I'd love it if you could give it a like, a retweet, whatever you're seeing it on social media. Uh, you can leave reviews, just it would really help out with the algorithm as well. Send your questions in as well for next time. Uh, so any kind of response like that is just so awesome for me. Hit the follow button when you're on uh, when you're on Spotify as well, so you get notified uh, when I release new content. So without further ado, with that in mind, brought to you by ReeseRyanBrand.com, we have Stevie Knight and Richard Young. Hey, what's going on, you guys? Hi, yeah. You're all right. Hi. Yeah. Hi, very, very good. Thank you, Richard. Uh, so I'm so psyched to have you guys on. Uh, I've been listening to your, your podcast. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty much an uh, obsessed fan now. I've pretty much listened to every single one. Um, so tell me, uh, particularly Stevie at the start, um, what made you want to kind of get going with the podcast? I know that you did it a few years back, right? Yeah, I was bored. Um, that's about it, really. I was just a bit bored. And um, I was sat in the house a lot doing nothing. Um, I had a lot of great audio from the podcast that I recorded in 2017 with some real legends of British wrestling like Marty Jones and Danny Collins, Ricky Knight, Johnny Kincaid, probably people um, that before, they probably retired before you were born. But, uh, you know, great names from the past and uh, a lot of modern names as well I recorded with, Spud and Nathan Cruz and all these people. Uh, and I had all the back catalogue of that as well. And basically, I was just bored shitless, to be honest with you. So I said uh, to Youngie, let's just do a podcast again for a bit of a laugh. Um, and if we get 10,000 subscribers, um, we'll start making some money. So we've only got 9,950 to go, and we're going to be minted. <laughs> That, that's amazing. I, I love, um, I was expecting some really like, you know, passionate answer. And then you was just like, I was just really, really bored. So. That is it. The, the, the thing that you will learn throughout this interview is that um, Steve is a heavily distracted man. Um, in throughout his life, he's had many, many, many projects that when they first happen, 
uh, he puts a hundred percent of his energy and time in, but then after a little while, uh, like a dog, gets very, very distracted. And yeah, yeah. I, I'll do things and I'll make them a success, and then I get fed up of it and I don't do it again. Then I'll move on to the next thing. Well, let's uh, let's hope that this one is different and uh, and it's going to go on for a long time. I think that like um, as well. Obviously, I my kind of age group isn't particularly, I assume, the kind of demographic that you're looking at. But like, it, I've really enjoyed um, listening to them and, and learning, really, because you are right. Like, I'm 22 years old. I uh, to give you a context, the first wrestling match that I watched was uh, pay per view Hell in a Cell 2010, uh, <laughs> um, and it was the Undertaker versus Kane. Uh, in like a Hell in a Cell match, and it was John Cena lost and joined the Nexus. Uh, so that was my first ever wow. wrestling match. That's, uh, yeah, feel very see, old. Now I, see, now I disagree, see. So I think that it's exactly the kind of stuff that you should be listening to, because uh, you go back and you listen to, I think it's episode three or four with Danny Collins. Uh, you know, the, it's just an hour and a half of advice for young wrestlers. Um, and I think it's exactly the kind of thing that you guys should be listening to. Uh, and it's not just for the, you know, it's not just a bunch of old people on there. You know, we talked to um, RJ Singh on there as well. And uh, we'll talk to anybody. You know, we're not we're not kind of stuck. Uh, we are we are only going to talk to people who've had a career. You know, there's, there's no point in getting somebody on. I would personally struggle to talk to somebody who's been wrestling for two years uh, and and show a great interest in what they've done as they tell me what a wonderful career they've had. Um, I would personally struggle taking them too seriously, uh, and I would direct them to listen to the previous uh, episodes uh, and get, get a context that they've got a long way to go, really, you know. But uh, someone like yourself that's keen and willing to learn, uh, it's, it's no issue at all for you to go back, listen to it, and say, I really enjoyed that, and I'm going to take that advice on board. And I think you'll find that those podcasts with Danny Collins, Marty Jones, Johnny Kincaid, uh, they are the only podcasts uh, that those guys have ever done. Yeah, and, and for me, as well, even for me, recording them with Stephen, I mean, obviously, my and Steve's relationships over 20 years, but like, I've never, heard, I've never met Danny Collins, or I've never met Marty Jones. So for me, as well, to kind of listen to them back and listen to the generation before I even started watching as well, um, it, it is extremely interesting. And and them guys, because it's a completely different way they work, it's a different, completely different lifestyle they lived. Um, so even for me to listen for them back as well and to be able to be a privy in them conversations is fantastic. It's cool how, um, you know, the guests that you guys have, uh, you you are right, like, listening to it, it is, like, just, like, a 90-minute seminar completely free on a, on these, these podcasts, and um, I, I think that's really dope. But also, I think to mix with that as well, the, the kind of guests that you guys have and the kind of guests that I have, um, the last few ones I had Ricky Knight Jr., uh, I had uh, Joe Nelson, who's Kid Like Us too. Um, these guys kind of at the very top of what they're doing at the minute even though they are you are right they're young uh but the thing is they're really hungry they're really passionate and being able to hear kind of uh what they're doing now in in the current age uh, i think is, is really cool because it is so different like steve uh you you started in 91 was it 91 i was 14 yeah so tell me about the wrestling world at, at that time uh different very very different to how it would be now uh no training schools not not one none anywhere in the uk 
Um, so um, I was very much like anybody would be now. I loved wrestling, so I watched um, wrestling on ITV at four o'clock like everybody else did. Uh, most of the UK used to watch it. Um, so I watched that until it kind of uh, drifted off and they started changing the times it was on. Uh, but I mean, I was young at this point, you know, I watched it from being four and I was I was absolutely dedicated to watching it. Um, I remember we first got a VHS player, which you've probably never seen. Um, and I would try and press the button down as slow as I could to slow this reel to reel tape down to see how they did the moves and things. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine got Sky TV uh, and only the rich kids really had Sky TV. But his uh, his dad got Sky TV for some reason. And the only good things on there were The Simpsons and WWF. And it was WrestleMania 4. Um, and he brought the tape round. And I remember just watching it and just absolutely, I must have watched that a, a million and one times, just absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, because it was like the British wrestling uh, plus, you know, a thousand percent with the characters. And um, there was guys the size of Big Daddy, who like was a great big guy. That was the guys there were jumping off the top rope uh, that size and things. It was it just blew you away. Um, so um, I started going back to the wrestling again because I used to go and watch it at the Memorial Hall in Cleethorpes with my mum and saw great guys there. And I started going back again. Uh, I started helping to put the ring up uh, and just did it the proper way, really. What was the proper way at the time? Um, learning to put the ring up and things and. Um, got lucky after a few months because a couple of the guys would come in and show me a few moves, uh, and I, I started that way, and that was the that was the only way really to get in. Uh, but I mean, at this point, I was twelve, thirteen. I couldn't have started wrestling. So, what would you have done, uh, being your age? But say, if the WWE Network was a thing, how would you have reacted as a kid? Oh, it would have been heavenly. But what what we had to do and what I did was tape trade. They had tape trading. Um, so there was a network of people that would get tapes um, from all around the world, Japanese stuff, Puerto Rican stuff, American, um, not so much British. British stuff was really hard to get. Um, and you'd get like 10th generation copies of VHS tapes, so terrible quality uh, VHS tapes. Uh, and you'd try and watch it, even though the, the you know the quality was absolutely appalling. Um, and you'd sit and watch all this stuff, and it was so exciting. You'd get like six or seven tapes arriving the post every day, and I'd just sit and devour them. Um, and it was just learning about new things. You know, it started with WWF, and you'd learn about NWA and all the other stuff, and Mid South, and uh, the bloody bloody matches of Puerto Rico. And then I got really into the Japanese stuff as well. But the absolutely only way, there was no internet. Internet wasn't a thing at all. I sound like a right old bastard. Um, the only way you could get these was um, on, on VHS tapes. And people, literally, there was a network of people that used to trade around the country and swap tapes and trade them around. It, it puts in, into like perspective when you just think of the general way the world has changed, not just in, in wrestling, but with anything, because for you say all this about how you had to like tape trade. And just the other day I was moaning to myself about 
the algorithm on the WWE network, I was like, oh man, I've got to really, I've got to click so hard to go into the categories, yeah, go go all the way down to find to find the AWA stuff. I wish that it was just right at the top. It, it, it's funny, me and St- me and Steve are like a, a, a still a massive pop music fans, and we've both DJed over the years and stuff. And if you said to us twenty years ago. Oh, don't worry, because you, you, you'll have this little device that you can just plug into your car stereo and it'll have pretty much every song imaginable ever made just as a click of a finger. You would have thought that was the greatest thing in the world. But, but now I, I miss going into a record shop and taking the time to look at the CDs and to decide what I'm buying for the week. I miss having a look at the singles charts. I miss that kind of almost the value that you kind of, you've earned that money, you've saved that money, you're going to go out and buy a CD. It's there, you cherish it, you look after it. And it's the same with, and I was the same, I, I, I kind of came in the back of tape trading. So there was like strong, I, I, there used to be a company called Strong Style Tapes. I used to get a lot of my stuff from Strong Style Tapes. And it was, you, that, that anticipation of waiting for it through the post, saving the money to get it. You have to send a check or a postal order. No <laughs> online ordering. You know, this is, so you, you'd send the check. You'd wait for that to clear for five days. Then they'd send you it back. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it, it sound, it, it's, it's really kind of antiquated to think about it. But part of me really misses that. Part of me misses having collections. And part of me misses having that, that, that kind of sense of anticipation that you were going to get that. I think um, for this episode of the VIP Lounge, I might have to uh, I might have to brand it with like black and white, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have like a little cassette tape in there, you know. Like just World take War our bombers and take our names out of it and just rename it the Moaning Old Bastards Podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, where we sound so old, um, and and going back to the wrestling to 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 bring it into perspective, to bring it into to you know, make us not sound so old. Uh, once I started wrestling, uh, I've I've wrestled um, the reigning world champion, WWE world champion, probably 30 times. So, it, you know, that kind of brings it into the modern era very much. So, you know, I've wrestled Daniel, uh, Daniel Bryan probably 15 times. Uh, lots and lots of WWE people I've wrestled lots of times. Uh, so it just kind of brings it and that makes it modern if that makes sense even though uh-huh. we did these things when we were younger uh, i can pick up the phone and call drew galloway right now for you so it's it's uh, i'm not going to because you get more, <laughs> you'd get you'd get more hits on the podcast than we will but um <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it just kind of brings it into perspective that even though we started at that point and that's what was going on uh, we you know we we're certainly um not old enough to not know these people as well well, going off that as well, why why don't you go through the list and tell me about these guys? Oh, I mean, you know, we've we've, we've you, there's so much to to go through of of time period uh, of of how we all met and when it happened. Um, I guess go back in time would be the best thing. Uh, once I started wrestling, um, we did tours with the British Bulldog when he was over here. Um, just sorry uh, to interrupt you in there as well, Steve. But like, you, you, this is this 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 is how weird the wrestling world is. Like, Bulldog headlined Wembley. What ninety two? Ninety two, yeah. Ninety two. One year later, one year later, he's doing town hall shows in yeah. Britain. Memorial in Hall. Did the, did, did the Memorial Hall? Yeah. So he's like seventy. He's gone from like seventy five thousand selling out Wembley Stadium to to. 
going and doing the you know the British town halls kind of thing, and that just that is where wrestling is such a bizarre industry at times. Yeah, we did. We did. yeah, it's, it is. It's crazy. You can go from the top of the world to to small shows in in no time at all. Uh, and then um, oh, this this. I mean, the the years that we could go through, uh, and the names of, of of wrestlers that have come through um, is going to be virtually impossible for for me to kind of name for you. Uh, without kind of spe- specific questions, if that makes sense. I mean, well, the ones that you you just said about, um, so you said uh, Daniel Bryan and, and uh, Drew McIntyre. Uh, yeah, so... they because they were all over here. You see, they were all Honky Tonk Man, Marty Jannetty, uh, Barbarian, uh, Miss Sour, Miss Sour, uh, D'Lo Brown, D'Lo Brown, Mick Foley, uh, who else? Um, Terry Funk. Just loads, lots and lots of people. Yeah, like we've been uh, we've been on shows with people like uh, AJ Styles, Shane. Oh, AJ, CM Punk, um, CM Punk, Colt Cabana, uh, Samoa Joe, loads and loads and loads of people. Uh, but I, it it doesn't hold a great to you. That's probably really exciting stuff. But at the time when we met those guys, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and things, they were just on a show with us, CM Punk. They were all on, on a show with us, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, that we were just wrestlers, and they were just wrestlers on a wrestling show. Uh, and some of them were nice, and some of them, like CM Punk, were real arrogant bastards. <laughs> you know, uh, and and you know, you'll get heat for that. I'll get heat for that. People say, "Who's that nobody saying that?" But generally, CM Punk, when he was there, was a prick. There's no, you know, it, it's it, it's true. Um, and anybody else that met him when he was there will, will say the same thing. You know. I guess like when you say about you know you were just wrestlers there doing the wrestling like you know everyone's there wrestling on the same show. I guess that's you know splitting the mindset of like the fan in you and and the wrestler and like having those as, as two separate things. Were you like a, 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 some of those guys that you've you've met? Were you a fan of any of those guys? Like what kind of um, like you, did you still watch wrestling at the time? Because I know some people at work and don't really watch it anymore. Like where did you stand? Yeah, well, I, it's something I have an issue with, to be honest. When when I I was when I when I started wrestling, obviously I was a fan, uh, and I remember going to I'd, I'd picked up Power Slam magazine, and I'd read that the a guy that I was wrestling that day called Doc Dean, a great wrestler. He's, he's passed now. He was a, a great lad uh, and a great wrestler. And he'd, he'd just done the Super J Cup in Japan, and he'd uh, he'd gone over on Jushin Liger. So I said to him in the changing room this day, oh, you've just done the Super J Cup and you, you beat Liger, didn't you? And he just looked at me in disgust, absolute disgust, and said, fucking hell, are you a fucking punter or a fucking one of the lads? So, and it really set it back for me. And it, it was kind of like, well, am I? Am I a fan or am I one of the lads? And from that day forward, I kind of was one of the lads. I, and I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. So I made sure after that day that, I didn't, I didn't act like a fan at any point ever. Um, so I think, I think meeting Terry Funk was cool, um, and Mick Foley. I mean, me, me and Youngie travelled for two days with Mick Foley, and uh, but I never kind of treat any of them like anything better than me, if that makes sense. Not that I didn't have respect for them or not know that they had fifty times more success than me or anything like that, but. They're just doing a job like I am. They're doing the same job that I'm doing. And I don't think, most importantly of all, 
I don't think that these guys want to be in the changing rooms and be treated like they're at a meet and greet. They want to be treated like they're backstage at a wrestling show in the changing rooms. They don't want to be treated like they're at a meet and greet. No, I, I get that. It's um, it's strange. I feel like it's one of those things that may only be specific to wrestling, though, because like, you know, you see all the time with like um, in like the acting world or something like that. If 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 a small like actor is is on set with like one of the bigger people who they'll they'll be really big fans of and things like that you know they'll have photos on their instagram and things like that like oh i'm really psyched that i got to work with this guy and like you know they still have that almost like fan thing in it like why is it in wrestling that it, it seems like that can't that can't be the case i think you can be but you kind of keep it to yourself i, I think i think f- for the pure fact that you you're either a fan or you're one of the lads. And I think you, you'll get, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you'll get, um, if, for example, you, you're going to get much more conversation and much more advice and get along with somebody much more if they're talking to you knowing you're just a keen young wrestler than you are if you're treating them like, you're one of the fans that wants an autograph and a photograph. Moving on from that as well, I, um, you, I on the, the <coughs> well, um, one of these guys uh, that I, I assume that you met, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, you you kind of reference him a lot in in your podcasts, like Danny Boy Collins, Marty Jones, uh, Chick Cullen. You all spoke about um, is uh, Dynamite Kid. Uh, did you ever meet Dynamite? Uh, just one time, just one time, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, it was just a show where I think it was Bristol, um, and it was at the very back end of his career. Uh, he was pretty knackered by that point. I think he wrestled Ricky Knight that night, um, but um, he was still great. He was still absolutely fantastic, but um, he was just kind of riddled with injuries and things, but... I would never profess to know him or anything like that. At, at the same time of kind of um, learning, listening to your podcast and kind of learning about him, I'm also in the middle of reading uh, Bret Hart's book. So it's it's kind of cool hearing it and then also kind of... Um, it's my, my favourite wrestling book. And uh, I'm I'm kind of about a third of the way through and um, and I've, I've kind of read about how he viewed Dynamite and things like that. Um, and obviously at, at the very start, he... Uh, he didn't really get along with him. Uh, they, they kind of, they, they butted heads a little bit. Dynamite wasn't, wasn't particularly kind. And obviously you've, you've gone on to say as well um, how some people weren't really um, a, a fan of that but, and, and how he was kind of a notorious prankster. But the thing is that was just, was that kind of part of the time? Cause you, you always reference about how particularly backstage with the, with the guys um, it, you know, it's very different and that there was a lot of kind of that kind of pranking and things like that. Do you think that, um, the kind of reputation that Dynamite built. Do you think that that was well founded, or do you think that it was just part of part of parcel of the time? I, I didn't know him, but I, from all accounts, it was very well founded. Uh, he was a serious prankster. Um, like you, I always ask about him because I've I've got a very vested interest in him, uh, and I read so much about all terrible things that he did. Um, so speaking to someone like you say, like Chick Cullen, who spent so much time with him, it's always interesting to get a perspective from someone that actually knew him. 
Um, so Chick said he was a nice guy, but a very, very serious prankster. Um, and Chick knew him very well, and Danny Collins knew him very well, and Marty Jones knew him from when he was 15 years old. So, um, yeah, it's it's difficult to um, separate the, the amazing wrestler from what you read online, because he was certainly... Uh, you know, at one point in time, you know, with the best wrestler in the world, um, and Bret Hart, who was, who was, you know, overall my favourite wrestler, um, will tell you he's the greatest wrestler of all time. And um, so, obviously, you say you, you didn't particularly know him, but the thing is, going on about the um, the kind of what's the word, like the the etiquette backstage and how that is different. You do reference a lot about that in, in your podcasts. Can you tell me a little bit about why you feel, uh, well, what first of all, what has changed and maybe why it's changed with regards to being backstage at a wrestling event and how the, the boys kind of interact? Oh, it's completely changed. Um, before, uh, you would you would speak when you were spoken to. Um, you would You wouldn't say a word. Um, you would, and I think a lot of that was because the guys were generally very tasty guys that would kick the living shit out of you in the ring if if you were not respectful, didn't have etiquette, um, and didn't know your place on the show. You know, you started at the bottom and you worked your way up. Um, I had I got my ass kicked, you know, tens of times, uh, and then the generation before me, Robbie Brookside, Danny Collins, guys like that. You know, they got their, their their heads caved in lots of times. Uh, not because they wasn't respectful or anything. It was kind of a, a, um, a rite of passage in a way to to see if you can take it. And, and it's because that happened to them. You know, everybody seemed to um, happen to them. And it, it was to see if you could take it. And because a lot of the guys that got into it, virtually every guy that got into it was an amateur wrestler. And kayfabe, the, 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 the thing that makes it is kayfabe. That's the thing. Kayfabe was alive and well, and it was seen as a a thing that if it ever got out that wrestling wasn't on the straight and narrow, um, that it would destroy the business. And that's what it was seen as back then. If, if people knew that it was uh, not absolutely 100% real, it would destroy the business. So it was kept as absolutely straight. And um, if a new guy came in, uh, it would be kept pretty straight with them until it was seen that they'd earned their place and people would loosen up with them and kind of um, treat them much more uh, correctly, I would say. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do. It was horrible. I mean, I hate it. I was in tears, uh, you know, many, many times. And and, and, it, and I didn't get it as, as bad as lots of people before me got it. Um, and I think it's probably better now that people don't get that on the same token. Um, I think that there needs to be um, I think it's too easy now for people just to walk in the door uh, and get involved with it, and you end up with a lot of shit sometimes that that um, people that are involved with it that would never have got in the front door before. And how would you suggest um, that that kind of changes? Because you know you are right in the sense of you know it is is a hell of a lot easier. Um, what would you suggest as a way to kind of alter that? I, I honestly couldn't suggest anything because the world, it's, it's not just wrestling that's changed, it's the world that's changed. You know, if, um, for example, Finlay, who's a, a very hard, tasty guy um, that used to uh, police the ring, you know, if, if somebody came in that was uh, over 
over cocky or anything. You know, you, you'd get a, a pretty good receipt in the ring lots of times. Um, go and have a look at uh, Steve Prince versus Finlay on YouTube. Um, Finlay just destroys him for like 25 minutes, gives him absolutely nothing. Uh, but if if someone did that now in wrestling, you know, the guy who got a bit of a pasting, he'd be on the phone to the police. This man beat me up. This man bullied me. You know, this it, it, you, you just couldn't get away with it in today's world. The world it's not just wrestling that's changed, it's the world that's changed. Um and I don't I don't think it I, I I don't think it will ever go back to it. I don't think it should go back to it because things change, everything changes, you know, it's it's um it's not a bad thing. Wrestling right now in Britain is hot, so why change it? I guess like the the way that I, I see it and obviously it's it's um you know, completely different to the times that you, you were there. And obviously I'm nowhere near where you, you are or, or were, um, like obviously with wrestling being entertainment and like it, it, it always kind of didn't, I didn't quite understand, but I guess it's cause I didn't grow up in that in, and work in that time, but like, because it's, enter- it, it's entertainment. You don't see, you don't see like dancers beating each other up backstage or like, or anything like that. It just seems like, there's almost a misplaced sense of pride, I guess. Um, and I, I don't mean that in any bad way to anybody. Um, but like, it, it, it just baffles me. Like, you know, you, you, you imagine a film and like, you know, Daniel Craig is doing some stunt fighting with in a James Bond film or something. And maybe the other guy doesn't make him look good or something. And he clocks him. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? Uh, so it, it's, that, because of, it, it's because though, Reese, that, wrestlers saw themselves as wrestlers then they didn't see themselves as entertainers they didn't see themselves as actors or performers they saw themselves as wrestlers and they saw themselves as legit even though it was a work even though it was a work it wasn't seen as fake it, it was it they they felt they were wrestlers they were sport they, were. they was they were sportsmen they were they were pretend sportsmen they weren't performers they were mm-hmm. they were pretend sportsmen they were they were wrestlers you know that i i was a wrestler i wasn't a performance artiste i see mm-hmm. i i know that you guys had that debate in uh in in one of your podcasts i i, I listened intently with that um so when you say about you know kayfabe and how um and how that obviously kind of really declined and then that changed the way that the boys acted and things it also obviously changed the the overall product as well where is there a point when you can pinpoint when kayfabe died? Yeah, I would think uh, probably around mm, 95-ish, 93-ish, kind of when the American really kind of took over. I would think it, it, it really started to change because it was so over the top that it couldn't be. It, it, it was so over the top, it, it couldn't be real, if that makes sense. It couldn't. It couldn't be... Uh, even remotely possible that it was real. Even the even the British stuff, you know, you could look at it and and even some of it you'd look at it and say, oh, that's 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 pretend. That's that's this. But every now and again, there'd be a title match or there'd be a great performer like Rocco or Finlay or Danny Collins or Marty Jones or some of those guys that would be on, and you'd say, well, that earlier stuff was a little bit bad, but this this is real. This is this is this is proper stuff, and that's because those guys were so good. They were so good at what they did. You didn't see space in between their moves. You didn't see anything. Anything was moody. It was all absolutely fantastic. But when then the American stuff took over, and you've got Brutus the Barber Beefcake cutting people's hair, you've got the Bushwhackers and things like that, 
And that's what people were watching because British wrestling had gone off the TV at this point. The American stuff had taken over. And that's fair enough. If that, that's just the way the world's gone. I love the American wrestling. I love I love the Ultimate Warrior. Because I was I as much as I was into professional wrestling and I liked wrestlers, I'm also well into entertainment, massively into entertainment. Ultimate Warrior was my favorite wrestler because I didn't watch it and look at anything apart from the entertainment factor really it was after i got involved with wrestling when i really started to appreciate the wrestlers see i suppose that um because I, i'm exactly the same you know like when i first obviously i i was uh kind of uh, 12 when i first kind of understood what wrestling was i think it was probably because um my my mom she uh she was quite uh set on me not liking uh kind of fighting stuff she was quite you know um oh no not not giving him wrestling you know you saying that you used to watch it at four years old that would never have happened uh with me so that's the first time i think it's because like uh, I, I can't remember how it was oh yeah i think we had sky and it went on and we just accidentally quit click zero and it went to like um, the pay-per-view thing. And then it, it was The Undertaker's face and like the cage. Like I remember the, the the poster so vividly. And that's what got me kind of hooked on it. It wasn't like the grappling or anything like Because I don't like sport. Like it's not my thing. Um, so that's why I got into it. So I suppose with what you said about um, how the guys who used to get into it were all amateur wrestlers and things. My background is acting. So I definitely wouldn't have been uh, doing this. Um, so I guess that that's probably why the, the product keeps changing as well, because I, I assume that a lot of new guys, um, much like me, are getting into it from seeing that side where, where the K-Babe isn't there. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to depress you, Reese, because of what you just said, but that was my downfall in wrestling. Because although I did pretty good, I did okay, my downfall was I was not an athlete. I was definitely... Uh, got I got into wrestling, and I was a very good entertainer, very good entertainer, but I was not an athlete. And if you look at the wrestlers that do well, they're athletes. It's the guys that, that are athletic that do very well for themselves. Um, so my advice to you would be to become an athlete and become an entertainer, because that's when you'll do well. But just an entertainer won't cut it. Just an athlete won't cut it. The two, you've got it made. But I was never an athlete, and that's what screwed me over in the end because I struggled with um, fitness and all that, and, and my dedication to it wasn't what it should have been. Uh, and I, I did, I got by on being entertained in the end, and that, that's that's what I got by on. But it what that was not enough, uh, and even not being an athlete, and even not doing the kind of matches that a lot of guys were doing, my body is completely destroyed. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, oh, I'm com I'm completely knackered. Um, I've got uh, oh, I've got I actually re I was I was filling in my uh, PIP, what they call PIP, personal independent payments, yesterday, uh, which is basically for people that are crippled up. Um, and I had to write down a list of of my injuries, so I got my MRI scans out. Uh, I've got scoliosis, spondylosis. Um, I've got my L4, L5. Uh, is crumbling and two other things are crumbling. Uh, yeah, I'm a complete wreck, to be honest with you. And they can't fix any of it. It's all just a total mess. Uh, so whether it was, whether it is wrestling that's done it, it's, it's certainly not helped. 
but yeah, my daily life is 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 pretty hard. I I, uh, I got two young children that I struggle to play with most of the time, and I struggle to walk. Uh, there's points that I've been in a wheelchair in the last two or three years. I spent a month in hospital uh, last year. I was in uh, in Bath um, spinal unit for a full month. It's uh, wrestling's wrestling was great fun to me, uh, but it's certainly uh, done a number on my body. Yeah, we took we took the families to um, Flamingo Land, didn't we? About well, just last year, once it last summer. So we, Steve took his family, I took my family. And I ended up having to push Steve around the park, which I never thought in all the years of friendship that we had. And 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 when I, you know, Steve, Steve was a superhero to me twenty years ago. So to be in that position where to see that side of it, it, it was it, it kind of really brought home the kind of what's happened to him over these years. I wonder, like, because um, when you say about how you you didn't even do the athletic stuff. And then you have guys who do that for years and they're totally okay. Like, do you think it's just like, look at the drawer or do you think that like, is there something that you, that you, that you wish that you'd done that you didn't do? Like, have you got any advice for guys who are coming through and they want to have a long career and preserve their body? I, I think it's look at the drawer. If I'm honest with you, I, I can pinpoint, um, when I was, I was doing a show at Cleethorpes one time and I got thrown into the corner post, and where the hooks come out, the middle hook hadn't been screwed as far back as all the others, so the middle hook was sticking right out. And I, this was when I was about 18, and the middle hook was sticking out, so I went, got thrown into the hook, and I used to really run into posts, try and make the ring move as hard as I could, which is one of my pet hates now with wrestlers, make sure you run hard into the post. So I ran hard into the post, and the middle hook was sticking out, and it just jammed right into my lower back. And my legs immediately gave way. They had to call an ambulance and everything, and they took me away. Uh, I was off for a month with with that. Uh, I'd bruised something, but it, it completely gave my legs out for about a week. Uh, and I was back driving a month after that to shows, but I couldn't sit down in the car. I remember, I remember driving up to Scotland to do one show in Scotland. This is how crazy I used to be and how crazy wrestlers were or are. Uh, and I was driving up to do one show in Scotland uh, and I couldn't drive the car because I couldn't sit down on my backside because of the pain in my back. So I drove the whole way leaning out the window uh, to try and get to the show. And I made it to the show and I, I managed to wrestle, but it was it was bloody hard work and driving back again. And then uh, I was wrestling in America in 2000, sorry, 1999, Jesus Christ, 20 years ago. I was wrestling in America, and a week before we went, I was doing a behind-the-neck press in the gym, and something popped in my back, and my my left arm went completely numb, um, and I just couldn't couldn't feel anything just down the left side of my neck and my arm, um, and it, that it kind of started to feel a little bit better. But when I went to America, uh, we were in our third week there, and I went to do a move off the top. Uh, something you know dead simple like a leg drop off the top or something and when I landed the ring snapped in the middle and I fell through the ring and again ambulance came and I was completely done in so I think it's just uh look at the draw to be honest with you it, it, it's uh it's it's caused me a lot <laughs> it's caused me a lot of pain wrestling to be honest with you 
and uh, and and you know you see all the guys nowadays when you when you're um right before the show starts everyone's going around checking the ring making sure that everything's got it there i suppose that, that that's why because a lot of those things that you say like it's just it, you know if that ring was it was better put together on that day maybe that wouldn't happen maybe you wouldn't be in that position i suppose i it also happen, I, but i mean and again i was not doing anything like what guys do now anything like i mean i was doing stuff you know I, I i i would think if i can pinpoint a level of what i was doing i was doing frankensteiners off the top and i was doing flips over the top to the outside but i wasn't doing anything like what guys are doing now you know what 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 is kind of a simple thing that that would be considered pretty simple now to what guys are doing but i know two guys that are in wheelchairs from wrestling so you've got to be, you know, you've got to take it seriously because it, it 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 can go wrong. It's 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 not all fun and game. So if if you're gonna do it, make sure you do it and make sure you take it seriously as as a serious thing because uh, any any given night it can go wrong. I think it's at the end of the day, it's an extreme sport, and like when you look at how over extreme athletes deal deal with the the kind of things that they do like obviously right now we're in isolation so nothing's happening but like when and i don't i don't even wrestle all that often but like the thing is when i was kind of full-time training uh i was doing it down in, in london recently and like and i kind of wrestle you know every like couple of weeks or something nowhere near as much as what i want it to be um but i still take it quite seriously like you know every kind of uh fortnight you have like an epsom salt bath uh you know you go and have regular kind of sports massages uh like look after yourself with what you eat and things like that i think it is so important and i think you know when we say about the difference in the way that things have changed i'd say that the way that guys look after themselves now is a lot probably a lot better would you agree Definitely. You can see, you can just, you can see the guys uh, now are, are athletes and that's, that's, um, that's what was missing back in the, back in the day. You know, you had, you had guys that didn't look like athletes um, and now guys do look like athletes. And if you're in a, a sport, uh, you know, a, 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 even a pretend fighting sport, you don't see any boxers really that are out of shape or anything, you know, especially top level ones, you know, if you, if you're going to be a top level boxer, or any kind of top-level athlete, you don't see many that are out of shape. Uh, you don't have to be huge. You don't have to be big. You know, you don't have to be, you know, like the Ultimate Warrior or anything like that. But you you have to look like you're taking it seriously. You have to look like some kind of athlete. So I'm um, going back as well when you when you say um, kind of about your career and what you've done. Um, I was doing my research, uh, and you'll have to forgive me because uh, you know I, I obviously being 22 and things like I haven't particularly focused too hard on, on the British scene, but I'm learning. Tell me about the, uh, ultimate wrestling Alliance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Youngie, you go on. Is Youngie still with us? He's still I'm there. Here, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Go on, Listen, Youngie. I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you talk about it, Youngie. Cause this is yeah. where I met, it's where I met Youngie actually. Yeah. So, um, well, partly it was, there's a two, there's a two part story to how we met and it ends in the ultimate wrestling Alliance. We will get there. Um, but basically, because he wants a drink, that's why. Um, so, so basically, um, I, I, when I was, I want to say 15, 14 years old, um, I was a paper boy, like many, many uh, teenagers of the era. Um, and Steve had a friend who owned the paper shop that I worked at, which I didn't know. But I was a big, massive, huge wrestling fan. 
and uh, I used to get, I was the only person who bought Power Slam magazine in the whole area. You know, he used to just order it in for me. Um, and so one day, um, Steve was in the shop. Um, and suddenly, as soon as you look at somebody, you're like, oh, okay. I, he looks very different to Betty, who gets the. Um, yeah, well, I was, on I was, a, I was on a Tuesday. At, at the time, <laughs> I was, I was like muscular, and I had bleach blonde hair, and and you know, I, I, I did probably look a bit more like a wrestler at that point in time than I do now, where I look like a, a fat middle-aged man. Yeah. So, um, so Steve then, well, he knew I was a wrestling fan, and he said, "Oh, this is Steve. He's promoting a wrestling show in the area." Like, and he basically said, if you go out and deliver all these leaflets, you can have a free ticket to the show. While the biggest punter in the world, I thought this was the greatest day of my life. This was amazing. Uh, I don't think I had a pube at that point. Um, <laughs> so that was, um, I thought that was great. Matt. So went, went went to the show. Um, I think there were like, I think Drew McDonald was on the show and Bill Powers, Powers yeah, and people yeah. like that. And it was a great show. And that's it. I never, never kind of saw him again. Until I look in Power Slam magazine um, one day, and it has an advert for the UWA, the Ultimate Wrestling Alliance, and they're doing this first massive TV taping. The first, and it's billed as the first British wrestling on TV for 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, and it's going to be filmed live at Crystal Palace. And there was Steve on the poster. I was like, "That's the guy from Grimsby! Oh my God, he's going to be on TV! This is amazing!" So at 15 years old. Myself and a lad called Steve Cartwright, we got the train to London, lied to our parents, said we were doing something else, stayed in a really crappy B&B in Thornton Heath and uh, went to watch the show. Uh, and there are, and, 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 and this is not blowing smoke up Steve's ass, but he was the star of the show. He, 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 was, and he had people like Chris Daniels, Doug Williams on, but Steve stood out because he was entertaining. He, he had charisma. So I put a review on the UK fan forum. And this is the very early internet. We're talking 99, aren't we, Steve? It was 99? Yeah, 99. Yeah, 99. So I put a review on the UK fan forum. Who replies? Steve Knight. He replies to my message. So purely coincidentally, he doesn't know who I am. So we message each other. And I was like, oh, you know, I know Lee. I'm from Grimsby. So, and and that was it. So, um, after that, after kind of, we struck up a little bit of a friendship from there. But, yeah, that was all through the UWA. But, I, like, it was, if you look at the production now, and I look back on it, and you can see, yeah, UWA is a little bit cheesy around the edges, and it's a little bit hokey. But production-wise, you look at them YouTube videos that are up now, it's pretty well produced. Oh, it's got quite, I love the sliding yeah, doors. Absolutely. Yeah. For, for 20 odd years ago, that that, that, that was it, it's a shame really that it was on the net the network it was on was a network called Live TV, which was famous for having topless darts and a dwarf uh, on a trampoline hosting the weather. Um so um it's true, it's true. Research live TV and it was available on cable and, and so UWA was like the best rated show, wasn't it, Steve? On it, you yeah, get topless stars. Yeah, 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 I mean that's that's a, that's yeah. good going. Wow, that, um, that's, that's good competition as well. So, um, but yeah, they they I thought they were great, and I think for you, Steve, I think that probably um, was the best work of your career, wasn't it? It was the most visible work of my career. Yeah, so it was um, 
We'd, so we we did UWA and that kind of we did the, we did the first one at Crystal Palace and I was on with Jody, and it was the it was the best I'd looked. I was in the best shape of my life. I, you know, I looked like a wrestler and things, and you know, it was all guns go. Uh, I spoke to the Japanese promoters there from Michinoku Pro, and uh, they showed an interest in taking me out there. So it was all really exciting at the time. We'd got on TV and everything. Everything was great, uh, and then we went to Blackpool. Uh, and we had a three-way match in Blackpool at the time. I mean, if you look at it now, it doesn't look anything. But at the time, it was uh, viewed as this great match, me and Doug Williams and Kerry Cabrero. Uh, and But after that, it just fizzled out. And we went and did something called UCW. Yeah, it was UCW. UCW, yeah. which is a company in London, a big company in London, in Green Park, uh, which was going to take over British wrestling once again. Uh, and we were all put on contracts. We were all getting paid, I think it was a grand a month, retainer, grand a month. We couldn't wrestle for anybody else. Um, and then I got it's the most money I've ever been paid. I think it was a grand a month retainer. So I did three months with doing not doing any wrestling and got three grand for it. And then for the show itself, I got £600 for the show itself. So it was like by far the best money I ever got paid. Uh, and um, we did the Coventry Sky Dome. And it was absolutely full, full up, three and a half thousand people. Uh, and I watched, I, I actually watched um, the NXT UK guys doing it. And I, it was empty, wasn't it? There was no one there. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 did, they did draw well there. And oh. uh, I, did, I did that building and it was, it was completely full, absolutely full out. Uh, and it, that was awesome. It's one of the best places I've ever done. Uh, and then uh, after that fell through, I've done so many things that are the next big British wrestling thing, honestly. The next big British wrestling, the next big British wrestling. Uh, after that fell through, uh, it was FWA's turn. So I did all the FWA. Uh, and after that, that fell through, I kind of lost interest. <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't, I, I don't talk. I, 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 maybe I want to save Wrestle Express for our podcast. Oh, Wrestle Express. That's a, no, we, we can't, I'm sorry, Reese. We've got, we've got to save that story because that's a. That, rest, the Wrestle Express day is, is a gem in it, Steve. That is the it's a gem we've of a story. Got to save that, uh, Reese. I could honestly, after so many years and so many stories, I could I could tell you so so much, you know. And and, and remember that you know, for the first from being fourteen, fifteen, I was away on holiday camps for nine years, uh, you know. And and we had some just amazing times away on the holiday camps. Um, then we went on to, like you say, UWA, UCW, FWA, uh, and then of course all the promoting of the shows. Promoted loads of shows. Some of them drawn a thousand people. Uh, then I did some shows that promoted, uh, which drew nobody at all and lost twenty five grand in a week. Uh, I, I've had an odyssey in wrestling. Honestly, I've, I've done, uh, I've done so much. And they say, would you do it again? And I say, no, I'd do something very different. <laughs> <laughs> The state, well, of the, the state of me now, I, every wrestler I know looks back and says, oh, but we'd do it all again, wouldn't we? And I say, no, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd have chose, I'd have gone into radio right. presenting and I could probably walk and I'd have a, a career behind me. But then... The, the thing me- is, he says this, he says this, right? And I used to, like, for the last, like, five or six years of his wrestling career, I pretty much was on every show that he did. We went everywhere. And he would be the same. He'd be the same all the way there. He'd be like, going, I'm knackered. I can't be doing with it. I can't be asked. Blah, 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 blah. 
And then by the end of it, the night had finished, and he'd be like, oh, I love that. That was great. Oh, it's a bus. really good tonight. And he does. Bus. So he says it's that he, he says all this. He don't mean it. He no, no. I, look, it. Well, look, I'm still doing a podcast. I'm still doing this now. I must, I, I do love wrestling. I love wrestling. Uh, I don't watch any wrestling. I love I love. I miss the guys. I miss hanging out. I miss talking about it. I miss the theory of wrestling. I love. I love putting finishes together, and I love chatting about wrestling. And I, I, I miss that theory of it. But for me personally, knowing what my life is like, the struggles I have in my life, would I have been a wrestler again? No, I would not. Well. It obviously, uh, it doesn't compare to what, what you're going through. But uh, I remember being um, like 14 or something like that when I first started training. And uh, and the thing is, the guy, going on to the story that uh, you told, uh, Richard, um, Steve, Steve Cartwright, the guy that you went you went to WAW, uh, sorry, down to the uh, London show with, uh, he became Steve Sykes. He, he, um, he went. Oh no, that's a, sorry, sorry, Reese. That's a different Steve. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the guy who kind of trained me, uh, Steve Sykes. He um, wrestled a little bit of WAW and things. He did um, kind of camp shows and stuff. I'm sure you know him, Steve. He must have been a huge fan of yourself because the uh, your finish, the Night Driver. I remember being 14 years old. I used to hate front bumps, um, kind of uh, landing out flat and things that used to scare the hell out of me. I'd bring my knees in and all, all that. So he used to just hit me with this about like 10 times, this uh, on your shoulders, straight out drop. And it was the the bane of my life. I hated it. So uh, thank you for that. So, you know, all that pain that you're going through, you put me through that at 14 years old. <laughs> well, the, 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 thing, the thing is, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm just stating a fact here. I'm not. I'm not blowing smoke up my own backside because honestly, I have. I have very little respect for my own career. But the local scene from here to kind of Hull, I have. I've had like really big influence on. Uh, if you look at the scene locally here, uh, I opened a wrestling school in 2000, and from that wrestling school uh, came. Uh, a guy called Ron Wilkinson. And then I trained Ron Wilkinson. I'm sorry to say that. Uh, and then Ron Wilkinson trained Sykes. And then Sykes trains all these people. So everyone that you can trace back, like to most of the guys that are wrestling now, originally came from my kind of training school. And then the NGW guys in Hull, although I've not directly had anything to do with that, a lot of those guys... Uh, some of them trained with Ron originally, who I trained, and then a lot of them got their their kind of love for wrestling by going to the shows that I'd promoted at the big venue in Hull uh, that Youngie uh, promoted with me as well. So, um, although I've nothing to do with the success that they've had, I think the original idea that they had. I know Richard Dunn told me. When he saw the first show, I'd loved to that. This was my dream to promote this venue because I'd been to the one that you did. So locally, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's quite funny to think that everybody kind of traces back to that tiny little wrestling school. So what he's saying <laughs> is essentially that he has a lot of local offspring. Some of them are bastards, but some of them oh, turned out all right. Some yeah, are proper scummy bastards. Yeah, some of them are proper scummy bastards. But like, what he's really saying is, uh, is you're yeah. welcome, Reese. Uh, you'll be asking me for a. 
Um, well, actually, I wish I'd I, I wish I'd have put something on for like a retainer or something. That would have been brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> the um the FWA that we spoke about was is that Alex Shane? Am I it right? is. It is Alex Shane. Good, very good mate of mine. We, me and Alex were very close for a while. Yeah. Well, I've I've never never met him, but obviously he was instrumental with uh, UK wrestling. I, I read his book actually. You, you put a book out. I read it when I was like sixteen. I think it was like the Essential Guide to Pro Wrestling or something like that. I've uh, never all... never read it, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Alex has got a finger in every pie in British wrestling. If there's if there's money to be made, Alex is the man to make it. He was um so like I say I've never met him but could you tell me a little bit about like kind of because the thing is obviously British as far as I'm aware you can correct me if I'm wrong British wrestling was kind of not anywhere it was kind of dead and then he came and like re re researched it a little bit with that company am I right in saying that or is that smoke and mirrors uh, smoke and mirrors I would say um I think this this I think the theory that British wrestling was dead is a little bit of a fallacy. Um, that the guys now saved it and it was terrible and they saved it and made it great and all this. I think it's a little, and there was, you know, there was always shows, you know, there was, the, the, there was shows every day. If you wanted to work every day, you could work every day. Uh, some of those shows were shite. Um, some of those shows didn't have a lot of people there, but it, it was never dead. It was never dead. So if anything, those guys like myself, Phil Powers, James Mason, uh, oh, loads of people, you know, lots of names, Doug Williams, Johnny Storm, Jody Flash. I, I don't want to, you know, and there's lots of others as well. You know, they deserve a lot of praise for carrying on with a job when it was completely, literally, um, I'm, I'm going to backtrack on myself when I say on its ass. It was on its ass from a standpoint of, it didn't have any traction to get people to go and see it, but there was still a lot of people promoting shows, if that makes sense. So uh -huh. there was work, there was work available, but it wasn't, it wasn't great guns. It wasn't drawing thousands and thousands of people. Um, but everyone kept going and they kept going. And then FWA came along and you can't, you couldn't possibly say that it resurrected British wrestling because it drew uh, decent numbers for a very short while, and then it went away. But what it did do was kind of create a spark for a new style and an idea of what you could do by bringing in people from abroad and drawing a crowd. So I think from that perspective, it it did make a, it definitely made an impact on British wrestling. And Alex himself has made a gigantic impact on British wrestling uh, because he's gone on uh, to now do Wrestle Talk. He got it back on ITV. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I know the ins and outs of that. Um, but um, Alex himself, not the FWA, has made a massive impact on British wrestling without a doubt. Whatever happens in British wrestling, you can guarantee Alex Shane will be involved in it. Yeah, Alex, exactly. Alex, sorry. Alex is a marketing genius. You know, he was the... I remember we would sit and have conversations with Alex and he'd tell you his ideas and you'd be going, Alex, you're mad. Like, this is never going to work. Uh, he was the first kind of promoter to do ringside seats and charge 40, 50 pounds for a ringside seat. And you'd be, you'd be going to Alex, Alex, that's, this, that ain't never... People aren't going to pay 40, 50 pounds for tickets. And he would pack them halls out. 
he would sell them 40 pound 50 pound tickets and then um, he was the first to recognize how you could market on the internet he was the first to kind of take that cult wrestling audience that adult wrestling audience more important because the fwa didn't have a family audience maybe to the detriment of it at times but the fwa was the first to kind of take that internet crowd that adult wrestling crowd and embrace it and, and market towards it and, and it was that, slow yeah and uh, that was that was the that key. had money that and the age group that had money to spend on tapes that had take money to spend on merchandise uh, that had money to spend on £50 ringside seats uh, and they marketed exactly to the right people and they got they got those people and they lost them in the end uh, but for a certain amount of time they, they had them in the palm of their hand. So why, why did they lose it? Uh, I think, um, I, do you know, I don't actually know. Uh, that happened around Uprising 3. Um, they tried to do the Coventry Sky Dome for Uprising 3. Uh, they probably got, you know, a very respectable crowd, probably 1,500 people, but the building holds 3,500 people. And it, it didn't look great. Um, and they had a, you know, a big roster. Terry Funk was over. Um, who else was there? AJ Styles was there. I get mixed up because there's been a couple of big shows there. Um, and I, I just think it was, I think it was too early. I think it was yeah. too early. I don't, I don't think it was ready. Um, and then they got, they got TV too early as well. It was they, too uh, early. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it was they they got on the wrestling channel and they were the only British promotion on the wrestling channel. And you could tell straight away from a production point of view they were well behind everybody else. On a on a tape trading perspective, you've got an FWA video. You look at the production and go, oh yeah, that's really good. But as soon as you put it on an actual TV. Them same tapes looks a world of difference. When World of Sport, which is made in the 70s and the 80s, looks like a crisper, sharper filming than a product that you're producing now, then you had an issue. And I just think they went too quick. They went too soon. And they didn't have the wrestlers either. You know, it was it was me and I, you know, and I, I lumped myself in with all those. You know, it was me and a lot of other guys. And there was a few that were ready, but none of us were good enough. And it, it, and it, it took till... 2017 until it was ready you know until we had the right people um in place to where it really was was um ready to be resurrected really needed a few more years yeah but alex the, the thing that gets alex through is his absolute passion for it you know he could have he's had that many bumps in the road where you probably would have thought he would have thought by now i'm gonna give this up i can't be doing with it but he stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. Always believed in British wrestling. Always believed in his vision of British wrestling. And he always said, all the way through, I will get British wrestling back on TV. I will get British wrestling back on terrestrial television. And he did it. And that will never get taken away from him. And, you know, also remember when they say that British wrestling was dead and things, you had, you know, people like Ricky Knight and WAW and things, you know, they've, they've been running. They've never stopped, you know, and... They've been running all the camps throughout all the summer, you know, doing hundreds of shows. So it never it never died. It just wasn't in the public uh, domain, really. It, it it didn't it didn't go away. It was still there. It just wasn't as prevalent as it once was. Yeah. Alex, he, Sorry, go on, Richard. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't dead. It 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 just took someone to change it and give it some razzmatazz and make it make it modern again 
the, the guys that um that were kind of wrestling in that time as well uh like it, it obviously must have been good quality because you know jody flash like i feel like he's probably like the best flyer in europe still like well, well uh, like one of them like i think he's exceptional in what he does and like uh, johnny storm as well like uh, every time i work with johnny i think he's absolutely incredible um so obviously it's a testament to that time that those guys are so how how are they like like jody flash and things like that like were they at, in that time when you say when people say that wrestling was dead obviously that's not correct as you've just explained were they wrestling often were they wrestling like every night there is that how they kind of got so good uh no um I wrestled. I've wrestled Johnny loads of times. I wrestled Jody loads of times. Doug, there was there was a, a, a place called Hammerlock Wrestling, and the absolutely only place that had a training school, the only training school in the UK, was Hammerlock Wrestling. So um, anyone that wanted to be a wrestler, the only way you could actually see a way of getting into the job, apart from the way that I did it, that 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 route in. Um, in about 92-93 was through Hammerlock Wrestling because they advertised in the wrestling magazines. So a lot of guys with a lot of passion for it to, ended up going to Hammerlock. And you ended up with Doug, Alex, Jody, Johnny and a few other guys. Um, and they kept, they went to Hammerlock and then they left Hammerlock and started on the UK scene. Um, you know, And that produced probably... Um, from that era, the most consistent performers um, for the last 20 years, really, um, in those guys. Uh, there's guys from Stoke as well. Um, uh, Dino, Dino Mark, who's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Robbie Dynamite, James Mason. Uh, they're the guys that have kind of carried through from the kind of mid-90s until now. And are still, like you say, Jody and people like that, absolutely awesome. Jody, you know, he looks a million bucks. His work is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's a crying shame that Jody isn't um, somewhere bigger getting paid a million bucks. Would you say in, in, in that same thing, I'm sorry, I was going to ask you a bit later on, about kind of underrated workers. Would you say Jody Flash is one of the most criminally underrated people on the scene? Uh, no, I don't think he's underrated. I think everyone knows how good he is. I think he's missed the boat. Um, I think he's just missed the boat. I think he, he, he was. There's a few guys of my age. Jody's Jody's four years younger than me, and Johnny's two years younger than me. I think they just unfortunately were born at the wrong time. I think they've just missed the boat, if that makes sense. You know, they, they were, they, they, if they were 10 years later, you know, they would have, they would all have WWE contracts. And when, so moving back as well, we've spoken a lot about how um, kind of, there's the old style, old style of wrestling and then there's this kind of thing that people are calling like the new school, I suppose. Um, I've, I listened to your uh, podcast with Nick Aldis uh, and he argued about how um, you everyone always thinks about the end of the spectrum. Like, you know, when you've got the guys who are doing the working a headlock for one hour and the guys who are doing all the flip flops and everything all, all for the matches. Uh, and then I listened to Chick Cullen and he said about fusion wrestling and how like, you know, you can have a bit of both bringing it faster pace for the modern audience, but also that sense of the old school. Do you think that that is where wrestling is going? Like, because I, I, with things like the new NWA show that's just started and things like that, do you think that people are craving that old style of wrestling again? 
Uh, no, no, I don't. I think, like Chick said, uh, fusion wrestling, if, if that's what he wants to call it, um, is, is the way forward. And that's what I've always said from when I started. We needed a modern British wrestling, which is what we had, really. Um, look at Doug Williams. Doug got noticed and was so successful, and he was the most successful of any of us during that time period. And what was Doug doing? He was doing British wrestling. Uh, he was going over to Japan. Uh, he was going to America for Ring of Honor. He was traveling all over the world doing British wrestling, but fitting that British wrestling in around the likes of Loki and AJ Styles and, and the kind of match that they wanted to do. And if you look at Pete Dunne, people like that, he's not doing American wrestling. He's doing a lot of British stuff, but he's doing it in a modern way. So I think um, British wrestling is is what it is on the tin. You know, try and do the, the British stuff, but do it in a modern way. And I think that's that's what was missing because for a, for, for a time period, what what we were all doing was American wrestling. And that's what we all did. And we lost the British touch. But what it needed, what, what the scene needed was British wrestling with a modern touch on it. And I think we've, we got there now. Um, and when you say about how you all used to do the American wrestling, one thing that doesn't happen now, but like, I, I, I'm so enthralled by it. And, and like, I, th I feel like as a kid, I just would have loved it. Um, but I'm sure that they weren't the best thing. Can you, did, did you do any of the tribute shows? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Can you I tell did. me a bit about those? I only, I only did two or three. Yeah, uh, there was quite a lot of guys. I think Chick Cullen, which I never realized, he spoke about that. He was the first one to dress. There was Johnny South, who was um, who wrestled for years and years, just as Johnny South. And then somebody pointed out that he looked like L.O.D. Hawk. Uh, so um, he had some, or, or I think Chick Cullen was saying that he had some shoulder pads made. And all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's walking around Europe dressed as L.O.D. Hawk. And he's the busiest he's ever been in his entire life. Um, and then from there, you know, there's everybody doing it. You had a rock, uh, you had a Steve Austin, uh, like I say, LOD, a cane, you know, a, a five foot cane, um, an undertaker, you know, you had everybody and it wasn't just one person doing it. You had Oreg Williams doing the tour with the tribute people. Brian Dixon was using some tribute people. Um, Shaky up in Scotland and Spinner McKenzie, they were doing the tribute shows. So there was lots of different promoters all doing these tribute shows. And some of the people on the posters would say uh, Frank Smith as Kane, while some of them would just say Kane Undertaker. <laughs> and obviously, they get away with that. Well, just... they, they, they got away with it by putting the show on, making all the money, and never going back to the venue again. Like Oregon in Ireland would draw thousands. Thousands. You're thousands. thousands. You're talking two, three, four thousand venues. Pack thousands. them out. Absolutely pack them out doing tribute shows. And it no one no one's expected that like in the Waterford Leisure Centre that they'd be paying four quid to watch a fake rock. They thought the real thing was coming. Yeah. You know, and, and that that was that <laughs> at the time I absolutely hated it, but um I, now I look back at it and I just laugh and just think um, it kept everyone in work. You know, it kept everybody going. The guys were out working every night. 
was it damaging British wrestling? Yes, it was, but it's recovered and and it's successful again now. So you know, so be it. But was it good? No. <laughs> was was it a good thing for British wrestling? No. But um, you know, it was years and years ago, and uh, yeah, it was a funny old thing because my mate Lee, uh, who I mentioned on my podcast, he was Kane. And to see him get dressed up as Kane in the changing rooms is just hilarious. It's just so funny watching your mate get dressed up as Kane. <laughs> um, going off that as well, just finally, uh, my last thing to kind of ask you about, it's been incredible having you on the show. Um, I just wanted to, to ask both of you, what advice do you have for the new guys? Like for myself, for people like that, like in, in all different aspects, like we've mentioned about looking after yourself, but just... Anything, what advice would you give to new guys that want to kind of be pro wrestlers? You mentioned about the athlete thing. Go on, Youngie, I'll let you answer this. I'm, I'm jaded. <laughs> well, I mean, from I, I can only speak from a, a kind of a promoter or a booking point of view, I guess. Like, I, I think just aim to be different. Aim to be different. Like, uh, or aim to be unique. Aim to be original. Um, character, character, character. That's the best yeah, thing I, I, yeah. I can say, really. I'm going to... Getting away from the health side of things, because it's a, a big thing for me, health side of things, but getting away from the health side of things, uh, I'll blow a little bit of smoke up your ass, uh, Reese. You know, you've you, what you've, you've, you've sent me your CV with a, a nice picture on there. Uh, not that kind of picture, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, a nice picture on there, you know, a list of who you've worked for, references... You've got a video that you can show people, uh, and yeah, you, you've got. That's what I would advise people. Uh, if you want to get on a poster, you know, if people say, "Have you got a good quality picture of yourself?" People don't, you know. Oh no, I haven't. You know, have it available if you want to get yourself on people's websites and on people's posters and uh, get yourself advertised more. Make sure you've got good media available to give to people. Um, and have your own nowadays. You know, have your own entrance video. If you go on Fiverr. You can have an entrance video made for eight quid, you know, so get all the, that kind of stuff done um, purely because the, the, I was always told by Drew MacDonald, who's, who's passed now, and I loved Drew MacDonald. He, um, when I first started, I, I spent a lot of time with Drew. Uh, he used to come over with a chap called Ian Harrison and he kept, used to come over to my house and we had great times together. And he used to tell me, uh, put yourself over because nobody else will do it for you. So don't be afraid to put yourself over. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate those kind words as well. But that's that. I'm sure that the people that are listening out there will really appreciate that. Um, so again, thank thank you so much. So the, uh, would you like to talk a little bit about your podcast before you go? Yeah, we might as well, might we? Yeah, might as well. Yeah, yeah go on then. Uh, yeah, so it's seconds away. It's night time. It's the second. Uh, coming of seconds away, it's night time, uh, and we're aiming to get a guest every week. Well, that might not happen religiously, but we're aiming every week because I think we're, we're very kind of conscious of the get the style of guests that we get. This week, we are hoping to record with Doug Williams, which will be good fun. Um, it is available on all the major podcast outlets now, so iTunes, Google, Spotify, uh, and we've got a little working relationship with a website, which we're very excited about, which will get announced in the coming week. Um, and so yeah it's it's just a very casual very laid back easy listen 
I feel. Well, if you enjoyed this, then you'll pretty much enjoy our podcast because it's what it is. And one thing I I do want to put across is it's not just for old bastards. You know what I mean? It's it's not just an old bastard podcast. It's not going to be just old people talking about the old times and how great it was and how shit it is now. Uh, that's not the aim and it's not my aim you know um, uh, hopefully we've got a really big guest coming up soon uh, so we'll we'll hopefully hear about that who's who's modern and in the news um, but for me personally I love hearing the stories um, from the past um, even from guys who if you if you've had a bit of a career then we want to talk to you just to get some stories and we're not going to do pieces all the time on so you started training in 1934 who trained you what's your first memory of wrestling we don't want to do that you know we're we're going to have a laugh with them find out the best stories and uh yeah just uh go over subscribe and uh, have a listen if you if you literally if you enjoyed this you'll enjoy the podcast and that was my awesome interview with the shining light stevie knight in-ring veteran of the british independence scene and also his co-host richard young Once again, check out their Seconds Away It's Nighttime podcast. You can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything where you can find the VIP lounge, you can find those too. So you've got an amazing coupling of of some awesome content between us and them as well. Um, And as always, if you could check out reeseryanbrand.com for merchandise, events, things like that, it would be a great support to me. Um, You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, at Reese Ryan Brand. So you can hop over there. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, have a great week. Okay. I don't know who's listening to this, but I just want to let you know that, you know, this t- these times are hard, but they are going to get better. We're all in the same boat. So if you're feeling, you know, a little, a little down at the moment, just talk to somebody. Uh, you know, pe- people have a lot of free time now um, and you'll be surprised who wants to listen. So, just keep, you know, your um, your heart open to other people, and just and just, you know, there are people out there that really love and respect you. So just keep that in mind. All right. So have an amazing week. Uh, I love you all, and I'll see you next week for episode six. All right. I've been Reese Ryan. This has been the VIP Lounge. Thank you very much. <laughs>